Well, my name is Tellus Fuller. I'm the youth pastor here on staff, and I'm super excited to share a message with us this morning. Last week, we had an opportunity to talk about what it means to be stirred up in God. That when God stirs you up, he stirs you up for a purpose, and he moves you with a motive. That God's moving and stirring inside of you, inside of your spirit, is on purpose. And he wants to accomplish something when he stirs you up. A stirring is this unquenchable impulse that doesn't come from you and isn't merely for you. And as we understood what a stirring in the Holy Spirit looks like to go and accomplish what he's called us to accomplish, a stirring cannot be disconnected from what you are currently holding. Because God has given you something to hold. And as he stirs you up, you cannot disconnect the stirring from what he's given you and you are currently holding. What I want to talk about this morning is how are we holding what God has currently given us? We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 25. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, sorry, through 22. A story that probably some of us know pretty well, but hopefully God will show us something really, really fresh and amazing during the few moments that we have together. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. And as he was setting out on a missionary on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sad, for he had great possessions. What I want to title this message for us for the few moments that we have together is open-handed. Open-handed. Will you pray with me? Lord, we trust you in this moment. We're asking God that you would speak God, if you are here, everything can change in a matter of moments by your presence. But Lord, if you're not here, we are simply encouraged and inspired. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place, saying, God, would you do what you want to do? God, would you decrease me so that you might increase? Prepare a way for your church, God. Open our eyes and our ears to see and hear everything that you want to speak to us. Father, we love you so much, and more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, empower us to live, look, and love more like a Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. TLC had this show on a few years ago called Hoarding Buried Alive. You guys remember this show? You ever watch it? It was this show that was amazing to me because every time I watched it, I was always astounded at what people could do with just things. If you're not familiar with the show, what it is, is this, 
really, at first, I thought it was funny, but it actually turns out to be pretty uh, uh, destructive, uh, a habit and a condition that some people have, that TLC would go and find some people who had this issue of hoarding. And what hoarding is, is that you collect a bunch of stuff, you're, you're abusing collecting things, and you're ignoring distributing things. You can't seem to get rid of the things that you have. And TLC would go into people's homes and interview people, and their houses would be filled with stuff. I mean, the rooms would be occupied. You couldn't be in a room because it was just towers of things and clothes and dressers and, and old computers, and, and you couldn't walk anywhere, and there were animals. Everyone was dirty. Refrigerators weren't open for years because of this. It was, it was a really actually sad TV show. And TLC goes in and tries to interview these people and have conversations with them and hopefully at the end try and give them some new habits and some new tactics to try to get out of what they've kind of dug themselves into. And the show comes to try and clear out their house and interview these people. And what the issue that these hoarders actually have is that it's not really the issue with the stuff, it's they don't know what to do with the stuff. They don't know what to do with what's in their hands. And some of us, I think, in the same way, we have a lot of things, and the things aren't the issue, but the issue is that we don't know how to hold the things that we've been given. Just like this show, the issue isn't what you have. The issue might be how do you hold what you have. Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler. He gives him this crazy, crazy a command to say, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And this rich young ruler is distressed. And as we go through the story, we're going to see what is God really trying to teach us in this story. I really believe that God is trying to teach us how to hold certain things that he has given us. And God has given something to everybody in this room. If you're in this room alive and breathing or watching online today, God has given you something to hold. The question is not, what am I holding? The question is, how am I holding it? How am I holding what God has given me? Some of us are holding things like emotions. And the issue is not all the emotions that we're holding. It's how are you holding those emotions? Some of us are holding a lot of relationships. And the issue, as much as you would like to think, is the relationship in the other person. It's actually how are you holding that relationship? Some of us are holding some money, and the issue is not the money that you have, but how are you holding the money that God has given you? How do you hold what God has placed in your hands? That's the question that God is asking this rich young ruler to answer. How you hold something will determine the health of that thing. It's so important for us to realize because how we hold something determines the health of that thing, and what you're holding isn't nearly as important as how you hold it. If you give me a scalpel right now, it's not going to do much good. It's going to be like a sharp steak knife for me, essentially. But as soon as you give that same instrument, that same scalpel to a doctor, it doesn't turn into a sharp instrument for cutting a steak. It turns into a life-saving tool for saving a life. It's not what you're holding. It's how you're holding it. And if you give me one instrument that might just be something to use to cut food and you give it to somebody else who knows how to hold it, it can actually transform a life. What are you holding? And more importantly, how are you holding it? God has given everyone in this room something to hold. And he's asking us right now, as soon as he's asking the rich young ruler, how are you holding it? 
Are you holding it with a closed fist or are you holding it with an open hand? A closed fist or an open hand? An open hand says, it's, uh, I'm generous. But a closed fist says, it's mine. An open hand might say, God, I'm going to humble myself. And a closed fist says, I'm going to exalt myself. An open hand says, God, your will be done. But a closed fist says, God, co-sign my plan. How are you holding what God has given you? And if you're like me, you know that your natural inclination is to hold things with a closed fist. I want to do with what I have how I want to do it. I want to be in charge of my own life. I want to hold things the way that I want to hold things. But the issue with holding things in a closed fist is that it produces consumeristic Christians. Christians that just go to get. I go to church to get whatever I can get. I go to God to get whatever I can get. I go to prayer to get whatever I can get. I go even sometimes to give just to see what I can get. It produces a consumeristic mentality as soon as we live life with a closed fist instead of an open hand. We are in constant battle to live life opening our hands. And God is asking us in this moment, I truly believe he's stirring you up. God is asking you, how are you holding what I've given you? In a world that is built around you closing your fists, building yourself up, doing what you want with what you have. Can we all just take a moment and a sigh of relief that if you're following Jesus, it's actually not about you? In the world, you live in a world, I live in a world where it's all about you. What can I do? What can I get? How does this support me? How does it help me? It's all centered around us. We live in an inward-facing world that is always concerned with myself, me, and I. And in Christianity, when we follow Jesus, hopefully it's a breath of fresh air to you that it's not about you. Some of us don't like that, apparently. Christianity is not about you, and that should be a sigh of relief because in the world that you live in, you always have to make sure that you're good enough. You always have to push the train forward in your own strength. You always have to make sure that you are making sure you are keeping yourself accountable. You're responsible. You're making the money. You're making the decisions. It's all resting on your shoulders. But maybe we just maybe can take a sigh of relief to say, following Jesus isn't about me. I'm not going to close my fist like the world is encouraging me to do. I'm going to open my hand. Following Jesus isn't just about me. And we see the rich young ruler approaching Jesus, saying, what must I do? What must I do? What must I do? He says, I've done all those things, Jesus. I've, I've kept all of those commands from my youth. What must I do? And I just see Jesus looking at this rich young ruler and thinking this thought of, when are you going to understand that I'm not just trying to get things to you, but I'm trying to get things through you? Christianity is not just about you amassing all of the great things that God wants to give you. What can God get through you? We are called not to be silos, but streams. 
A silo is something that's going to contain a whole lot, store a whole lot, hold a whole lot, but it's not going to do much after that. We are not called to just contain the glory of God, but be a stream to distribute the glory of God. If God has graced you with things, that's not a bad thing. I'm not anti-stuff. I'm saying that God does not just seemingly want to get things to you, but through you. You are a vessel for God to use. You are an instrument for God to work through. And this rich young ruler is trying to understand something that Jesus is trying to sell him is, I don't want to just give things to you. I want to get them through you. Can God work through you or does it stop at you? Where does the blessing that God had given you? Does it just stop in your hands? Do you close your fist and you say, God, thank you so much for what you've given me? Or does it have any exit into anybody else's life? God has called us to be streams, not silos, because Jesus wants us to loosen our grip on the world so that we can open our hands to the kingdom. That's what he's trying to get this rich young ruler to understand. And, and, and opening your hands isn't just a, um, um, a physical position. It's also a spiritual posture. Now, and, and physically, as I was researching this, physically, opening your hands actually does something to your brain psychologically. If you're ever in an argument with your roommate and you're trying to figure out how to resolve this argument, scientists say literally, if you just physically open your hands, you're going to be automatically more receptive to receive what they're saying. It's, it's actually amazing. If you just physically open yourself up, you will all of a sudden be able to receive more. It's, it's, if you're ever in an argument with your mom or your spouse or your kid, here's what you got to do. You just subtly be arguing with them and just go... And just tell me that the argument doesn't go well. Just open your hands and see what God's going to do. Because physically, something happens when we open our hands. And not just physically, but spiritually. God is trying to get us to open up our hearts to be able to receive what he wants us to receive. That we are more available spiritually when we open up our hearts in a spiritual posture to receive God. And the beautiful thing is that This posture of an open hand is not merely just for receiving, but also for releasing. I knew that wasn't going to get a lot of claps. Because we love the receiving, right? Like, who doesn't? You're telling me, you're like, Pastor, you know what? I love this message. Tell me five steps to receive more from God, and I'm going to bring five friends next week. I love it. Let's keep this train going. Because we, we're, we're consumers to culture. What can I do to get more from God? Even if that thing is good, God, give me more. Pastor, tell me more. I want to receive all the blessings that God has for me. I love it. But as soon as we get to the idea of releasing, we get a little bit uncomfortable. But an open-handed posture and position of our heart and of our soul is not just one of receiving, but releasing. That's what Jesus is giving us. Job, um, an amazing man in scripture. He is pretty much an ideal, living in an ideal life, ideal world. He has a ton of livestock. He has a ton of family. He has a ton of land. He's healthy. He's happy. He's whole. His life is going perfect until you get to the end of Job chapter 1. And if you know this story, it's one of the most tragic stories in all of the Bible. 
Job is living his life with his friends, hanging out, and all of his family is out somewhere. And then all of a sudden, his family, his livestock, his land, in one moment, all get destroyed. His family dies. His livestock is destroyed. His land is ravaged. Even his body is ridden with illness. In one moment, Job all of a sudden had everything and then had nothing. And we see Job amidst his friends and his friends come to him and they're telling them all of this news. And it's the most sobering and convicting sentence, I think, in all of scripture. Because Job's friends come to him and they say, your family's died, your livestock is gone, your land is gone, you're not doing well. And Job says, naked I entered into this world and naked I will return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I mean, talk about an open-handed man. Job, who had just lost everything, responds actually with worship if we look in Job chapter 1. It says that he falls on his face and he worships God. After receiving all that God wanted to give him, Job still didn't clench his fists and wave his hands at God saying, how dare you do? He opened his hands and he kept them open in the receiving and in the releasing and said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of my God. Job, an amazing open-handed man. We see the way to live In following Christ, when he stirs you up and moves you to something, is to live open-handed. Ready to receive and ready to release. To receive. When I see the rich young ruler, there's a lesson that I'm learning in this passage of Scripture that Jesus doesn't pour into full containers. Jesus doesn't pour into full containers. The rich young ruler approaches Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you must do all these things. He says, I've done all those things. Then Jesus says, all right, sell all that you have, go give it to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. Now, this seems like a really, really drastic ask from Jesus, but it's actually very consistent with his character because when Jesus is actually coming to people, he says, if anybody wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and lose his life. Now, if I was petitioning for Messiah of the world and going all throughout Jerusalem and Judea and trying to get people to believe that I was God, and I said, hey, follow me, but deny yourself, take up your cross and lose your life, that seems like a pretty bad platform to build on. And yet Jesus is saying time and time again that it's not about how full you are, but about how empty you are. And some of us are so full of ourselves that we can't receive from God. Our hands are so full of what we already have that God won't place. Here's the thing. Why? How can God place anything into your hands when they're already full of things you're holding on to? The rich young ruler's hands were full. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus is trying to teach the rich young ruler a, a, a principle, a key principle about the kingdom of heaven. About It's not about how full you are, but about how empty you are. He's teaching him the kingdom in this moment. And the rich young ruler is living, standing in front of the person of Jesus with his hands full and saying, no. We know in the story he walks away sad because he had many possessions. 
How can Jesus place anything in your hands when they're already full of things that you're holding on to? The rich young ruler knew that something was missing. He knew that there was a, 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 a God-sized piece he was trying to uh, uh, substitute with a man-sized piece. He knew that there was something that needed to be satisfied in his soul, but as soon as he came to the person of Jesus, he, he actually couldn't commit and go all the way through with releasing everything. It's, here's the thing. It's not that Jesus wanted this guy to be poor. It's not that Jesus wanted to make him suffer. It's not that Jesus didn't want this man to have things. It's that Jesus did not want these things to have this man. And this thing, all of his wealth, all of his riches had this man's heart. And as soon as something has your heart, it has to be emptied out of you for God to put anything into your hands. For you to receive something from God, you have to be empty. You have to be empty. And God is teaching, Jesus is teaching this rich young ruler a key principle about the kingdom of heaven is that it's not like the world goes and who's the most full, but the kingdom of heaven is who's the most empty. How are you holding what's in your hand? How are you holding what's in your hand? I wonder how many of us in this room are too full to receive from God. We're too full. We, 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 don't, we don't need it. We, we, we seemingly have all that we need. And God might be wanting to give you a new identity, but you already have one. God might be trying to give you a new perspective, but he can't because you already have one. God might be trying to change your habits this morning, but he can't because you already have some. God will not place anything into your hands when they're already full of things you're holding on to. He's not just trying to get things to you. He's trying to get things through you. If you have an open hand, this is saying, God, I am here ready to receive whatever you want and not full of myself, but emptying myself so that you can fill me. Jesus is trying to teach this man something so, so important about the kingdom of God. That it's not about how full you are, but it's about how empty you are in Genesis chapter 13, we see Abram, Abraham before he's Abraham as Abram. He's gotten this word from God to uh, go into a land that God will show him, very specific, and I will bless you and make you a great nation. The issue, Abram doesn't know he's going, and he has no kids. Father of faith, amazing, amazing man. Abraham goes and he travels through Egypt, and as he's traveling, He's traveling with his wife, Sarai, and he's traveling with his nephew, Lot. And as Abram's walking through the land, he and Lot are, to put it plainly, filthy rich. They have a ton of money and a ton of stuff. And they have so much stuff that Abram looks at Lot and says, we actually can't occupy the same land because there's not enough for all of our livestock. That's how much stuff that Lot and Abraham have. And Abraham is so kind that he says, you know what, I'm not gonna fight with my family. I know our herders are mad because there's not enough room and you have this and I have that. You know what, Lot, you can choose where you wanna go. You, you just choose the land, you go that way and I'll go this way. Abraham literally says, if you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. You know what, you choose what you wanna get and then I'll just go the opposite way. 
Lot looks around at everything that he has and everything that he sees, and he sees the Jordan Valley. He says, that place looks beautiful. It's like the garden of the Lord, the, the land of Egypt. He goes over to the Jordan Valley, and Abraham is left. He says, all right, well, if you'll take that nice land over here. I'll go to this desolate place over here. Abraham goes to this desolate place. He builds up an altar to God. He starts worshiping God. And we hear this story, and you might think, well, that's a cool story, but I don't really get the significance. Abraham was living so open-handed, ready to receive what God had given him, that it didn't matter what position he was in because he knew that he had a promise. Lot put himself in a better position than Abraham did. And Abraham, in his kindness and in his revelation of the word of God, said, you know what? I know you have the better land, and I know I'm getting the leftovers of the land, but God gave me a promise that he would bless me and make me a great nation. So I know that God can still bless the leftovers. You know what? I know that it seems like you have a, you're in a better situation than I am, but God made me a promise, and so I'm going to say open-handed because God can still bless my promise. I know that I don't have to fulfill my own promise because the God who promised me is the God who's going to make it come to fruition. And so I don't need a better land. I don't need a better situation. I don't need a better degree. They might have more experience than I do. They might have a better family situation than I do. They might have a better education than I do. But you know what? God gave me a promise. And God can still bless what he has promised. Abraham was more concerned and more certain about the promise than he was about his position. And he said, I would rather hold on to the promise than hold on to the position. And this is not because Abraham was such a good guy. Like, it's not that Abraham was better than you and me. It's not that he was like this super Christian and we're like, man, I wish, dude, like that is so cool. The reason why Abraham could hold his whole world open-handed is because he had a word from God. And Abraham was more concerned with the promise than merely with his position. Therefore, Abraham could live open-handed. He says, you know what? You can have what seems to be like the better land, the better situation. They might have the better life. They might have the better car. They might have more money. They might have everything that you've ever thought, you've ever dreamed. You might have even worked for it. Abraham actually had the right to tell Lot where to go, and yet he deferred and let Lot go. Talk about an open-handed man who said, if God's going to give it to me, it doesn't matter if they're blessed, because I know that my promise is going to come from my God. Therefore, I'm going to keep my hands open, ready to receive whatever he wants to give. What a man that Abraham was, ready to receive whatever God wanted to give him. He lived open-handed. Abraham knew that the best way to receive the purposes of God for your life was with open hands. That's what he knew. That's what he held on to. And releasing. It's the probably this is going to be the place where our faith is going to be tested the most is in the faith to release. This is probably where most of us are going to get the most scared is in the faith to release. Having an open hand, which is in the position to receive, but also in the position to release. The rich young ruler was told to release everything that he had for the sake of being filled with Christ. 
And he had a question that he had to answer then and a question that I believe all of us have to answer right now. Is God better to me than I can be to myself? If you want the faith and the grace to release, the question we have to answer is, is God better to me than I can be to myself? Because what I want to do is I want to close my fists and hold on to whatever I feel like I've earned and deserved. And when I close my fists, that is a sign that I think I can be better to me than what God can be to me. I don't trust God to fully receive and release everything that I need. If you're like me, you need your Lord to tell you when to receive and when to release. When you follow Jesus, he becomes the Lord of your life and all of your life, which means he gets to tell you what you release and what you receive and when you release and when you receive. This should take a weight off of your shoulders that your life is not your own anymore. And if your God has made you a promise, if your God has given you a word, now it's not on your shoulders to receive and release at every perfect time in every perfect way. But now it's on the shoulders of your God to let you know now's the time to let go. Now's the time to receive. Now's the time to receive. Now's the time to release. And this rich young ruler was debating the truth of, is God as good to me as I can be to myself? Is he really my Lord? Pastor Jim at our prophetic gathering gave a great definition of, I think, this example right here. And he says, fear, which is probably the thing that we're going to deal with the most in releasing to God, He says, fear is a manifestation of imperfect trust. All that fear is in our lives is the fruits of not trusting Jesus. Because if we really trust Jesus, we'll know that he's going to do what he said he would do. If I really trust Jesus, I'm not worried about what's going to come near me. I'm not worried at the arrow that flies by day. He's going to take me through the valley. He said that I'm going to the other side. He said that he had a plan and a purpose for my life. He said that he actually wants to prosper me and not to harm me. He said that he will always be with me wherever I go. He asked me, if I really trust Jesus, I have no reason to fear. Fear is a manifestation of an imperfect trust. And if we really believe that God is who he says that he is and will do what he said that he will do, fear has no place. The reluctancy to release will always reveal your revelation about God. What do you know to be true about God? Who is God to you? Not who is the pastor said that he is. Not who did your grandma say that he is. Not who did your small group leader or your mentor or your discipler or your parents or anybody else. Not a podcast. Who is God to you? Because the revelation of Jesus will always reveal your ability to release. Who is God to you? Is he your provider? Is he your sustainer? Is he your comforter? Is he a present help in a time of need? Who is your God to you? And as soon as you have that revelation of who God is, releasing becomes easy. Living open-handed becomes easy. Living open-handed doesn't become such a horrible trial and such a horrible way of life where I have to always go against, no, that this is my sacrifice to God. 
Because I know that he is going to take care of me. Who is God to you? Some of us, I feel that we are so heavy because we are currently carrying what God is asking us to be releasing. You've put things on your own shoulders that God never put there. And you're looking at God and you're looking at your friends and you're looking at your pastor and saying, why is life so hard? And it's because we have placed things on our old shoulders. We have carried things and held things, closed our fists to things that God has called us to release. And we end up carrying things that God never gave us the grace to carry. And therefore, we're walking in our own strength. And I'm so encouraged that in 1 Peter it says that I don't have to do that anymore. I actually have a different option in Christ. I can actually cast my cares on him, not because he'll fix it, but because he cares for me. I have a grace in Jesus to cast my cares, to release my cares, to release what I've been holding, to hold my hands with an open posture and an open position to say, God, I trust that you are going to be better to me than I can be to myself. I trust you. An open-handed invitation is what God is giving us. And the rich young ruler ends up walking away sad because he had many possessions, because he couldn't open his hand. Listen to me. The sadness of releasing the thing will never compare to the sadness of forfeiting the kingdom. I don't know what Jesus is asking you to release but the sadness of releasing whatever he's asking you to release will never compare to the sadness of forfeiting the king of kings. This man saw Jesus face to face. It's not like he didn't see him. It's not like he didn't have an option. This man was so full of what he had and had his hands so closed off that he saw Jesus and said no. He walks away sad. I truly believe because in some part he knew that he was forfeiting the kingdom. He knew that there was a gift of eternal life. There was a new way of life. There was a fresh spirit that was being offered to him. And he said no because he was so full. He couldn't release. The sadness of releasing the thing will pale in comparison to the sadness of forfeiting the kingdom. God's inviting you right now to release something, to live with an open hand. If I could invite Pastor AJ up here, if I could try and explain this with an illustration, I think it'll help us understand what it looks like to live with an open hand. Because the truth about it is that when we place our hands in an open position, we are placing ourselves in what I like to call the revolving door of grace. The revolving door of grace. I have some rice right here few grains of rice, and I want you to just hold this rice real quick. So Pastor AJ has some rice, some stuff that God has given you, blessed you with. You probably didn't work for it. You didn't deserve it. You just have it. There's some things in your life that God has given you that you just have, and that's great, and God has blessed you with it, and God wants you to have it. But here's the thing is I want you to close your fist real quick. As soon as you close your fist, the potential of everything that's in your hand goes away. Because now nothing can be poured into it and nothing can be taken out of it. 
So God might come to you having given you something, and then all of a sudden God is like, man, I'm so happy. I blessed you with this. You might have five grains of rice, 10, 20, 50, 100 grains of rice, and I'm so happy for you. But then God tries to pour some out into your hand. He said, wait. Wait, wait, okay. Wait, let me. God said, wait a minute. Let me, let me see. And God has been trying to pour something into your hand, but there's no access because you've closed it off to all the potential that he might want to give you. God then comes to us and he says, you know what? I want you to live with an open hand. I want you to live with an open hand. The Bible says that our heart is a wellspring of life. Everything that we do flows from it. You know what a wellspring is? A wellspring is water entering the ground and coming out of the ground. What does that mean? That means that water is receiving and releasing. Water is receiving and releasing. Our heart is in a constant revolving door of grace of receiving and releasing. So what does God do? God says, open your hand. I want to pour something out real quick into your hand. Can you hold it? Can you hold it? Oh, wait. It seems like you can receive just a little bit more. It seems like you can hold just a little bit more. It seems like you have a grace to receive just a little bit more as soon as I pour something out into your hand. This is a great posture. But, but we get to this point and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God has given you too much. It's too much. I can't hold it all. God's giving me... JC, can you come here real quick? God's giving me too much. He's giving me too much. I'm in the posture of receiving because of my open hand. But actually, we didn't just stop at receiving, did we? We move to releasing. So, you know what? Can, can you pour it into JC's hand real quick? And come back here. Can you open your hands? Oh, wait, hold on. Now your hands are empty again, and you've emptied yourself, so now you have the ability to hold some more. Oh, wait, your hands are full. Can you, can you pour? Hey, DJ, can you come up here real quick? Can you walk up here real quick? I need to show you something, because this is what God wants to do to you. It's not just a God of enough, but a God of more than enough. So he wants to open your hands and pour out some more grace on you. So, oh, wait, your hands are full. Hey, Miata, can you come up here real quick? Because this is a cycle of grace. It's a revolving door of grace that as soon as you open your hands, God wants to pour out blessing that you can't contain. I wonder if somebody would open their hands today. I wonder if somebody would want to receive what God has given you today. I wonder if we can praise God and say, I'm not just in the position to receive, I'm in the position to release. Y'all, I'm so sorry, the stage is so dirty. Just Are your hands open? Are you living with an open hand? Because Jesus wants to do something in your life. And I'm telling you, as soon as you close off what you feel like God has given you, you close off the potential for receiving and releasing. That's the truth of God. That's the revolving door of grace. And as we look at the rich young ruler, I don't want us to just take a warning from a guy in a book. To say, I don't want to be like that rich young ruler. I don't, I'm, that scares me, Pastor Charles. I don't, I don't want to be like that rich young ruler. That's terrifying. I, I don't want us to just take a warning from the rich young ruler. I want us to take encouragement from our true ruler. We see in the book of Philippians, it says this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. It says, who though he was a man... Though he was in the form of God, did not count, e count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, talking about Jesus, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the best better ruler, church. It's not just a warning that's don't be like the rich young ruler. This is actually an encouragement to be like Jesus. The God who actually emptied himself first, who released heaven in order to receive earth, who released perfect communion with the Father in order to receive imperfect communion with man. The God who released all of the earthly benefits, I mean, the heavenly benefits that he can have with worshiping in perfect communion with God and chose to be with us. This is the truth of what Jesus did for us. And I am so encouraged because if we go just a few verses later in this same book in Mark, it says this. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man, Jesus, even the Son of Man came not to serve, what? Not to be served, but what? To serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What we see here is that my encouragement doesn't come just merely that Jesus asks me to do do it, but first that Jesus did it for me. That Jesus first said, I will empty myself for you. And now you can receive what I have. This is the gospel is that Jesus came and did for you what you could not do for yourself. And it's this beautiful truth that Jesus is not going to ask you to do anything that he first didn't do. We see just verses later that Jesus in this story is saying, even in my own world, even as the son of man, even as the son of God, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And Jesus now has the right to ask us into this impossible posture because he did it first. This is the grace of the revolving door. That Jesus Christ did not come to be served but he came to serve. Jesus Christ didn't come to be a silo, but a stream. Jesus Christ didn't come to see how much that he could get, but how much he could give. Are you going to live open-handed? Are you going to live open-handed with whatever God has given you? And say, God, you know what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. God, I trust that you can be better to me than I can be to myself. So Jesus, in response to you and what you first did for me, I now imitate Christ with an open hand. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. Jesus, thank you for first having an open hand to us. That you have made yourself a servant. God, not coming to earth as the one true man who deserved to be served and worshipped, but you actually lowered yourself to the form of a servant and you came to serve us. Lord, you opened your hand first. And now we have the strength and the grace in Jesus Christ to imitate you with open hands. 
Jesus, would you open our hands? God, it might be really difficult for some of us in this moment right now. It might be really, really scary for some of us right now, but Holy Spirit, open our hands. I feel like there's some people in this room who even need to do that physically. Just open your hands. Holy Spirit, give us the grace to receive. God, let us hold on to your word like Abraham did, like Jesus did. Let us see the King of Kings for exactly who he is and not walk away sad like the rich young ruler did. But Holy Spirit, give us the grace to see you as you are, to receive from you whatever you'd want to give. And Lord, to release whatever you'd ask us to release. God, if there's anything, anybody in this room, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are a better minister than me. Would you minister to hearts right now, Lord? Would you minister to hearts right now, Lord? And would you show us what we need to release? Would you, God, you give us the faith and the courage to release what you're asking us to release? God, in faith that my king is better to me than I can be to myself. Lord Jesus, have our eyes set upon our king the object and the affection of our worship. Lord, raise our eyes to have a new perspective. God, refill our hearts. Turn us into streams and not silos. And Holy Spirit, by your grace, open our hands. God, with this city, see a church with open hands. God, with this world, see a church with open hands. Because our God first opened his hands to us. It would be such a beautiful image of Jesus that everybody that sees the church, the body, and the bride of Christ, as they see the bride, they would see a church and a people, God, after your own heart, who are imitating and mimicking their king, who have opened their hands because they've seen a God who has nails in his. God, would you open our hands? Not would the world see a church that reflects our God. 